0: You're listening to Trek FM. Can I get you something from the galley, sir?
1: Coffee, at least?
2: Thank you. Bring it
1: to the bridge. I'll be there in a moment. Yes, sir.
3: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Sue. Hi, everybody. Grace, who we can't hear right now. Oh, hi, Grace. Grace was just off there doing her beehive. Andy, how big is your beehive today?
1: Um, Smaller than Grace's, I'm sad to say. I didn't have time to really, really pump it up with a lot of hairspray.
3: All right. Um, well, our topic today, as you may have guessed, is that most beehived of yeomans. <laughs> and that is, of course, Janice Rand. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash women at warp and pledge a small monthly donation. You can help us with things like our equipment costs and our website hosting and uh, spreading the word about the show at conventions and such. Uh, We really would appreciate your support. So if uh, you're enjoying the show, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash women at
1: work. So Janice Rand, y'all. Janice Rand. (laughs) Janice. I was expecting like a, a song to break out there, like... That seemed like the beginning of, like, a really cool musical.
2: Janice France, I know your beehive is killing you. I
3: get a headache when I wear a ponytail, so yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's pretty impressive. So we had a request from one of our Facebook followers that we start out by looking at what the heck – Yeoman is anyway, in terms of like where the job came from for those people who don't have a background in naval history.
2: If I'm correct, it's just a way of addressing someone on the bridge. You just say, yo, man, over here. (laughs)
1: I love that we're starting out with uh, both a song and uh, some really fantastic puns. I think that's a strong start to the show that we should probably <laughs> continue throughout the rest of the recording.
2: Winging on a starship enterprise.
3: Indeed. The only uh, naval history I'm familiar with is the whole debate about why do Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Padoom-tsh. Done with the puns for now. For now, Um,
1: but they're coming back.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, So the actual word yeoman comes from medieval Europe, and it referred to an attendant in a noble household. But the term, the way it's used in the U.S. Navy, where obviously Gene Rodbury and the uh, original series creators were drawing from, it was first established in 1835, and can trace its roots back to the original Captain's Clerk rating that was one of the first U.S. Navy ratings established in 1794. So... You can see where we get Rand getting Kirk to, like, sign papers and stuff like that. The captain's clerk was uh, in the Royal Navy and the U.S. Navy, and it was a person employed by the captain to keep his records, correspondence, and accounts. And in, in order to become a purser, which was more important, you had to serve at least one year as a captain's clerk. And it was often someone who was seen to have high status, with an office on the quarter deck or upper deck on most ships. So you need to be able to afford a bag to be a purser, so.
1: <laughs> I love the idea, though, that, like, the higher the higher up on the ship, the better. Like, whoever got the top bunk.
2: Well, I think it makes sense. <laughs> the guy <laughs> sense. behind the
3: crow's nest is
1: doing great. Yeah, I know. That <laughs> less sense. It's, it's when like you a Think
2: belfer.
3: of it being
0: submerged in water.
3: Yeah. <laughs> So nowadays in the Navy, a yeoman's duties are to deal with protocol, naval instructions, enlisted evaluations, commissioned officer fitness reports, naval messages, visitors, telephone calls, and mail, both conventional and email. And they organize files and operate office equipment and order and distribute office supplies. They write and type business and social letters, notices, directives, forms, and
1: reports. So it sounds like basically a, a pretty straightforward administrative job. Exactly.
2: Except for that whole, you know, fitness regimen thing.
3: Yeah, and something that it seems to be missing is you must love the captain (laughs) and serve him without ever telling him how much you love him.
1: Yeah, where's the um, bringing people coffee part?
3: I'm not sure that the yeoman would say no to that, but I don't think he brought the captain, like, salad in bed. I don't know.
2: For all we know, Rand used to be a barista or something. She just really loved showing off her skills at the espresso machine.
3: I actually do really like in, is it uh, the Corbamite maneuver where the like the power's out and she comes to the bridge and McCoy's like, how did you even make that coffee? And she's like, I just warmed it up with a hand phaser. I thought that was pretty cool. She's, she's
1: creative. She's creative.
3: Exactly. So there's a quote from These Are the Voyages Season 1, and we read part of it in our Kirk's Love Interest episodes where we talk a bit about Kirk's relationship with Rand. Um, but I thought it was worthwhile bringing it up here where Grace Lee Whitney talks about her conversations with Gene Roddenberry about what the character would entail.
0: So maybe Sue, uh, do you want to take a… Take a crack at that. So it says, Gracely Whitney remembered Roddenberry's description of Janice Rand. She would be as Gunsmoke's Miss Kitty was to Matt Dillon. The marshal could always talk his problems over with his favorite saloon girl. She knew him better than anyone else. That was the relationship Roddenberry wanted Rand and Kirk to have. The captain could confide in her, be warmed by her, and secretly love her. But he would never openly admit his deeper feelings, not even to himself.
2: Be warmed by her?
0: Well, that's what it says.
3: This specifically. (laughs) (laughs) So as a lot of people know, uh, Grace Lee Whitney appeared as Janice Rand in a handful of episodes, less than a dozen in season one, uh, before she was asked to leave the show. And we're going to talk about some of those scenes and the trajectory of her character. um, But I think it's probably important to just address what people say happened. In Whitney's memoir, The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy, uh, she says that she feel, felt that the dismissal was due to the fact that she was coerced and sexually assaulted by a Desilu executive. And it's actually like er, the incident is described as really obviously quite awful where like he asked her to role play Kirk and Rand and then basically assaulted her. So can imagine like how hard that would be continuing to play that character. The studio said to her agent that she was being written out because the relationship with Kirk had become too obvious and they were concerned if they had new love interests that it would start to seem like Kirk was cheating on her. So I guess kind of similar to that argument we saw about like why Picard couldn't be with Crusher, like that Kirk had to remain unencumbered. But Whitney's assault also led to her having some pretty serious issues with drugs and alcohol, um, or alcohol specifically, um, and diet pills, I believe. And uh, so anyway, she talks more about that in her memoirs, so if that's something that you're interested in reading about. um, I would suggest going to pick up The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy. But let's look at some of her scenes. You know, if we're looking at filming order, then the first episode that she's in is the Corromite Maneuver, in which I mentioned she brings Kirk some phaser-warmed coffee.
1: Uh, in- and her salad. Yes.
3: Her awesome salad. She also brings him salad, which McCoy has ordered her to give Kirk, because Kirk's gaining weight. And what? despite, like, using that sick bay ceiling bicycle. <laughs> uh, and he's all cranky, and he's like, what is this? She's like, it's salad.
1: And he's like, rah! And then... Um- to be fair, that is also my reaction to salad, or at least certain types of salad. Like if you bring me some iceberg lettuce, I will get very grumpy with you.
3: Yeah, but I'm not gonna like yell at a waiter or a nurse. That's very
1: true. I'm just saying
3: <laughs> that some salad does suck. And then he, he basically complains that he's been assigned a woman as yeoman and McCoy's like, What what's the problem? Where right? you can't won't be able to think straight, and he he goes basically, I already have one woman to worry about, it's the Enterprise. So I guess that's kind of setting the tone for her character that, you know, she's, she's obviously efficient, but Kirk's a little suspicious of her off the bat. And uh, there's already some sexual tension from that first episode.
0: Well, it feels like a carryover from the cage a little bit too, right? Because we get Pike saying, I don't like women on my bridge. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's like they wanted that same idea still to come through like it was an important thing to say for some reason yeah for
1: sure I, I i think it's interesting that they they bring up this like sexual tension between rand and kirk and i just don't feel like it was that overt to be honest like i felt like it was kind of forced
3: yeah i i don't know really what to attribute that to but i kind of agree i feel like it was there for sure in the writing and the lighting and the music that the intent to have that there But I didn't really feel like there was a ton of chemistry.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I don't know. It would never have occurred to me to to think that Kirk was taken in any way, I guess. Like taken in a way where he might be cheating on her to flirt with other women. That is definitely not the vibe I got off them. Actually, to be honest, the vibe I got off them was that she was attracted to him and he just was kind of indifferent. Yeah. That's what I got also it wasn't just you oh well i'm glad about that at least because i mean when we talked about her for our love interest episode for kirk i mean i know that she has to be there and i feel like she's obviously considered a love interest for him it just never never tracked for me i guess yeah it's not very is- proactive love interest
3: no i mean certainly he knows he can't but I, I didn't really feel like, you know, one of the types we see it most explicitly is in The Naked Time, where he starts going like, I have a beautiful yeoman. But it didn't make me think, like, this is going to be a huge deal. And it, like, certainly as someone who ships characters fairly frequently, I never shipped Kirk and Rand and was like, I want to imagine their romance.
1: Yeah, me, me either. And there's a lot to work with there. I mean, can you imagine that YouTube video It would be like, You know, as always, because it's a classic, you gotta use Dreamweaver. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) And then imagine you're Dreamweaver, and it's like, Rand being like, here's your salad.
0: (laughs) I mean, I, as a shipper, can base a whole heck of a lot on, like, a glance or a stray touch, and I'll even admit that there's not a lot to go on here. Really
1: hardcore (laughs) shippers in their videos will, like... Do an entire, like, 10-minute video of just the characters looking at each other.
3: So I'm looking on YouTube. I see three music videos, but two of them are by the same person. I'm sure they're lovely. So if they're listening, then, like, I, I'm i really interested. Cause, like, it could just be also that I'm starting to watch this as an adult. So I'm not – maybe I'm just not seeing the relationship for that reason. But there's one to knows my heart. <laughs>
1: That seems to fit, though, with with how they were trying to get it across.
3: Yeah, there's also one too. It's so complicated, and a parody one to bad romance.
1: I I, <laughs> I just would like to take a moment and say to all the shippers out there who make YouTube videos, you are valued, and I love you. Yeah, we can 100%.
2: make a video for you guys and Andy to Dreamweaver right now. Yeah.
1: It would be like we would have so much Vaseline on the lens and I would just be like to the shippers. It would be all the star art. wipes all the time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I ship Andy and the fans. <laughs> oh. I just um, I, I, to,
2: Congratulations, to be... fans. Now you're the fan <laughs> and bicycle.
1: I do like to be a little more serious about it, I do really think like that kind of aspect of fandom culture is kind of denigrated and it makes me sad because I feel like that actually does take time and thought to, to make these kinds of videos and people put a lot of thought and heart into them. So I personally like, even yeah, if I so don't it. ship it, I, I always like checking out um, shipping videos because I think they're cute and interesting. And uh, after this, I'm totally going to go watch the, the, the Rand and uh, Kirk shipping videos and see if they change my mind. Maybe there's a glance I didn't notice.
2: You don't get to make fun kind of shipping videos until you've had to edit video before.
0: True. Yeah, and that's the thing. Think of the people who were making the the fan vids way before it was as easy as it is now to edit video.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I made um a Kirk or sorry, Kira and Odo one in Windows Movie Maker, and like, oh man, <laughs> even and like first edition, like on or I don't know Windows ninety eight or something.
1: I need to know where that is. And I think <laughs> they <that laughs> should post it on the
3: internet it. anymore. But maybe I can like upload it to our website just so that everyone please do, can, please do can, like. Patron I do. content. Awesome. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so back to Rand. I think that if we're looking at the Rand-Kirk relationship dynamic, unfortunately, like, like there's there's more than one time where she's basically like a damsel in distress. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the best examples of that is Miri, where she's on this planet with Kirk and McCoy. And They can um, have all the uniform colors in one shot. Yeah, and this is the one where, like, there's the kids and the adults have all died, but there's this, like, teenage girl named Miri who's, like, super into Kirk, and, like, Kirk is, like, a little bit creepy, unintentionally. <laughs> Be like, oh, you're so beautiful. And um, there's, like, actually this weird jealousy between Rand and Miri, and so Rand gets starts to get this disease that's killing all the adults, and it gives her these, like, blue splotches and she's out on the like balcony of a lab crying and kirk comes out and she's like look at my legs
1: (laughs) yeah that's a super weird episode for a lot of reasons but um i feel like with miri the character I i feel like that what they were trying to get at is like she was becoming a woman yeah but to have that framed as becoming a woman is crushing on captain kirk and then beginning into a a competition with another woman for the affections of a man. That's an interesting way to... In space, that's part of the puberty process. Space puberty. Maybe it's a part of Vulcan Ponfar, too.
2: Well, you know, it was kind of Wait, maybe this is just a thing that happens when Kirk is around uh, teenage girls for the first time. He is Kirk, onbringer of puberty.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think that was true for many people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so then Miri... Basically, originally she's kind of helping them, but then because she's jealous of Rand, she kind of rats them out. And the kids kidnap Rand and tie her to a chair, and then Kirk (laughs) has to rescue her.
2: (laughs) And then we all get to make children of the corn jokes. It's very fun.
1: I absolutely made children of the corn jokes when I first time tracked it. That is 100% a thing that happened. (laughs) They want you too, Kirk. (laughs) Uh
3: So true. Um yeah so like i mean being tied to a chair is a pretty classic damsel in distress scenario
1: Also i feel like it wouldn't be that hard to get away like they're I feel a bunch like of it's kids. something
3: almost every other starfleet officer we ever see in Star Trek could have gotten out of Like
1: tip the chair <laughs> I don't know I'm not going to pretend that i'm like some really competent escape artist but i feel like if you If you kidnapped me and tied me to a chair and then, like, left me alone, I'm pretty sure I could get out of that.
3: But then Kirk couldn't rescue her and prove his love. Also, just how many bobby pins does she have
0: in that beehive?
1: She could fashion a a rudimentary (laughs) lockpick.
0: That, I gotta tell you, for cosplay, I have been trying to perfect this, even a simple beehive, none of this woven stuff. And, like, of course, we know that out of universe that is a wig. But I can't even imagine in-universe what creating that hairstyle would be like every day.
3: <laughs> Another cosplayer who has done it, and she used two wigs. And so the foundation blonde wig she let be, like, the longer part. And, uh, and then she used two of those hair donuts, put the mm-hmm. entire top blonde wig on top of the hair donuts, um, and, like, sewed it all together and then wove the top wig around the hair
1: donuts. If I had to wear that at work every day, it'd be very, so, like, can you, you, I, her neck must hurt, like, holding all that up.
3: Yeah, I like the episode where she has the, like, kind of chignon kind of thing going on. Yeah, other, it's... Like, the little, yeah, you know what I mean. I forget which ones that is, but there are <laughs> a couple where she doesn't have the full-on, like, woven thing. But whatever, I mean, it certainly looks like something we haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, it's unique, and it's definitely like the signature. Like if you're if you're thinking of Rand, that's one of the first thing people think of. Is her hair was definitely a very signature look for that show. Yeah, why her hair is so big? It's full of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, Captain Kirk's secrets, <laughs> as he confided in her, like her, you know, his favorite saloon girl. That's why if they'd kept her on the
2: show, it would have just started getting. They would have had to stash her hair in a nacelle or something.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I figured she probably had just like micro anti grav units.
1: Like Spock's space boots.
3: Yeah, but like teeny tiny and they're just for hair. Let's move back to the character briefly. So um, Rand is also really briefly in the man trap. So that would have been what people would have seen first. And she actually has kind of a cute scene with Sulu where she comes to bring him food and then is like hanging out with his monster plants oh yeah and uh one of our facebook commenters kind of brought up the scene and i guess the man yeah. trap is totally what we could call her hairdo yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sue are you able to read that comment by dante
0: yeah dante wrote i wish time had allowed us to get to know janice rand better i really enjoyed the easy friendship between rand and sulu and that she became his first officer years later. Gracely Whitney gave Rand a dignity beyond what she was given in the writing, and I'll always enjoy Rand's episodes because of that. I think that's really, really true. And I feel like that scene with Sulu with the plants is probably some of the most characterization, other than getting Kirk to look at her legs, that we get from her for that character.
3: Yes. Phaser Coffee and the scene with Gertrude the monster plant.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. The
2: adorable monster plant. It's so adorable.
1: If I ever get a plant, which I probably won't because I kill plants, um, they just die. Like, I even killed a spider plant, which I didn't know was possible, and a cactus. If I ever do get a plant, though, and try again, I'm going to name it Gertrude.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. So in that episode, yeah, basically all she has to do is that scene, and then that's where salt monster disguised as green comes in and he's after salt and he see like he's been following her around because she's delivering food with salt shakers on the trays and then he kind of follows her out into the hall and uh he's gonna attack her but then he decides to attack her instead but there are like a couple little damsel in distress e kind of moments but i wouldn't say it's it's quite as
1: you know oh beat you over the
3: head with it as miri
1: there was no chair tying involved no or railroad tracks.
3: Yeah. And I really do like the the Arboretum scene. Charlie X is another early one. Um, one of the scenes that I really like from that is where um, they're in the, I guess, recreation hall and we get to see her kind of palling around with Uhura and encouraging Uhura to sing. That part's fun.
1: Yeah. There is a very specific look that she gives Uhura that's one of my favorites. And it's not the kind of look I would set to Dreamweaver, but it's a <laughs> a very cool friendship look, like just like, yeah, okay. Do it. You can do it. And she kind of gives her like a smirk that I think is really, really cute. And this I think goes back to Dante's comment of she was she was putting more in into the character than the writers were, and she was giving us these tiny moments. That kind of spoke to who she was without having it to be having it be explicitly stated, which I think is really impressive. And that scene makes me think of my favorite line from
0: the Memory Alpha entry on Rand, (laughs) which is Yeoman Rand was among the most popular female members of the Enterprise's crew, second only to Lieutenant Uhura, who was her good friend. I mean, okay, but we only ever really meet three of them, right? At least in a recurring sense. (laughs) It goes Uhura,
3: Rand, Chapel. I'm top three women characters in the original series. Rand was one of them. (laughs) Pretty much. But um, Charlie X is another one where she's pursued by, in this case, budding, puberty, omnipotent teenage boy.
1: (laughs) Maybe we've gotten it all wrong all this time. It's not Kirk that triggered Miri's, you know adolescence it was Rand and she did the same thing for Charlie X
3: oh Rand, oh and The inducer. no I'm pretty sure it was Kirk because in Charlie <laughs> X Kirk is in like those red pants and he's like let's wrestle and I'm pretty sure that would trigger <laughs> puberty in anyone that is an excellent point
1: yeah okay I I withdraw I withdraw my conspiracy theory and I will defer to Jarrah's judgment on this matter because I I think you win there you're right Anything else on Charlie X? Just in general, I just I think it's one of her stronger episodes. I mean, it's really hard to to classify a Rand episode as strong because I really don't feel like she gets like I would say that the most definitive Rand episode for me is Enemy Within, but this this one is um, maybe her best one. I would say uh, she gets some fun fun moments in it, and uh, you know she is being. You know, sexualized and sexually harassed, but it at least is acknowledged that it's not okay and treated as something that needs to be like a problem that needs to be fixed rather than just brushed off.
2: She goes to nip that problem in the butt,
1: and so does Kirk. That's yeah. that's the the big thing for me is that he steps in and you know protects his his crew member in that instance, which. The Enemy Within, which we're going to talk about for a while, I'm going to guess, that is the opposite of what they do for her. And I think that's why I prefer Charlie X. Of all of her episodes, that's the one I think I like the best.
3: Yeah, I think I'd agree. And I definitely agree with you too, that it's hard to say there's really like a Rand episode. I think I watched six episodes to prepare for this. And I saw maybe like, six minutes
1: of rand maybe mm-hmm. i'm gonna need that kirk grand shipper who makes the videos i'm gonna need them to cut together all of rand's moments and and just put them all together i really feel like it that would be like a 20 minute video at the most
2: we have got such great potential here for some just rand super cut
3: fan bit a thon yeah we should uh, like throw that out as a challenge so, yeah, I mean, we we definitely need to spend a bit of time on the Enemy Within. So, super brief, i mentioned mention the only other Rand scene that I rewatched in preparing for this was the scene in which, in well, in Balance of Terror, she has, like, a super brief scene where she brings him something to sign uh, on the bridge, and then she gets to, like, walk into his quarters without knocking to bring him coffee, and he's, like, lying in bed being stressy. And then she's just like, do you want coffee? And he's just like, yeah. And he's just like, that's okay. Um, and she goes away. So, yeah, well, in memory, Alpha, it was actually, like, Janice consoles him during one of his darkest moments. And I was like, that was, like, five seconds.
1: (laughs) You want some coffee? Coffee
3: consoles me in many of my darkest moments. So, maybe...
1: Uh, to be fair, that whenever bad things happen, and, you know, if I'm trying to comfort something, I'm super awkward about comforting people, by the way, but one of the first things I do if they're in in the room with me is I'm like, I'll make you some tea. Yeah. I do think, too, that the other thing to say about the the difference between what's on screen and what's on Memory Alpha is that people still responded to her character even despite maybe not giving her a lot to do like they are adding to her moments in order to flesh out the character for themselves
3: okay so shall we tackle the enemy within we talked about it briefly in our kirk club interest episodes i believe but yes definitely demands some attention and i I think we're probably going to do an entire episode on it at some point or at least address it when we talk about sexual violence in star trek but andy do you want to take it away did we just lose andy
0: yeah, we're just dropping. Well, she like did lies. say there was a thunderstorm. Oh, that's true. Oh,
3: that's right. Yeah, should
2: we just ad lib something until she comes back?
3: Janice
0: Brand,
3: super hair. <laughs> Do you know what is under there?
0: <laughs> a secrets and a milk steamer. I can tell you what's under there: a wig cap and some bobby pins. <laughs> I like my theory better. She's got the whole coffee set up in the hair, just kind for of, consistency. <laughs> lift it up and pull it out
3: hand phaser in case he gets cold oh I also noticed that at the beginning of what's the episode uh, balance of terror she's like she's helping out lighting candles at that wedding and she's like wearing her tricorder in a wedding because she might need to scan something in that room
0: she'll need to scan uh, to catch the bouquet (sighs) she'll need to make sure that the ice is at the perfect temperature
2: (laughs) make sure that the rice being thrown is at optimum speed (laughs) <laughs> and we're not here to judge We leave the judging to Judy
3: Everybody ran now uh, 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 uh. Sweet Janice Rand Dun 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 Beehives never looked so
0: good So good,
3: so good, so good I've been inclined Bum 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 To Warm coffee with the phaser. Yay! Jurassic to try! <laughs> and you may have missed our epic rendition of Hey Rand. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's Enemy Within Time. Sorry, everyone.
1: All the
2: time is Enemy Within Time when you're conflicted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode is super upsetting to me.
2: Yeah, it's an upsetting episode.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if anyone
3: doesn't remember this episode, it's the one where Kirk is divided into Evil Kirk and Wimpy Kirk in a <laughs> transporter accident. And uh, Evil Kirk, who actually is, I, I mean, I guess it's probably more accurate to say that they're kind of framing them as, like, Indecisive Kirk and Decisive Kirk. And, like, Indecisive Moral Kirk and Decisive Amoral Kirk. So, amoral, decisive Kirk uh, attempts to sexually assault Janice Rand, and there's a quote from *These Are the Voyages* Season One where Mark Cushman writes, "It was important to writer Richard Matheson that the attempted rape be included. It wasn't part of his story outline merely f- for exploitation purposes. It wasn't part of his out- story outline merely for exploitation purposes, but to enable Kirk's bad side to take the place of the obligatory science fiction monster." He said. What else could we show about this side of the captain that would be more frightening? Attacking and beating a human being, which Kirk's bad side certainly does, was not enough. A grizzly bear will do that out of instinct. But molestation goes beyond mere survival. It is calculated, even perversely hedonistic. It is the dark side of humanity. And that grosses me out for a couple reasons. Um... And actually, maybe, like, the main one is actually that Mark Cushman is, like, editorializing there to kind of agree that, like, this was justified for the story to disturb people more. And it's pretty gross.
0: The most problematic part of this for me is that we're clearly supposed to be seeing Kirk as good versus evil, right? When they when he split into two beings and how the evil is just equated with aggression and power and sexual violence, not just violence and it's it's
1: disturbing. I also think it's really unfair to men and masculinity
0: to it is
1: just just say, yeah, underneath you know their civilized veneer, all men are really just beasts underneath that can't control themselves and are just like aggressive and it totally
0: plays into toxic
1: masculinity,
0: right? The idea that men can't help themselves, which is not true.
1: Yeah, men are fully capable of controlling themselves, and I think much higher of men than this. There is even a part where he, when he first goes into recorders quarters, he's like, you're too beautiful, you're too much woman, like, I can't help myself kind of thing. Like, no, no, you can you're choosing not to. I just I just think that this is this is something that it, to me, if I were a man, I would be extremely offended by that. that this is apparently what they equate masculinity to, like some sort of beastly sexual predator.
3: You know, basically, like the ultimate message is that Kirk needs both sides of him in order to be a good leader. And that this sexual violence is, like, so packed in with masculinity and power that it is necessary to be a good commander. And, I, yeah, it's super problematic. And then there's, you know, the whole aftermath where Wimpy Kirk interrogates a sobbing Rand in sickbay, basically. And Spock basically tells Wimpy Kirk that, like, you can't tell the crew that there's two of you, even though predator kirk stalking around the enterprise
1: yeah and so the the thing that upsets me the most in this episode is not even the rape scene which is extremely upsetting because it's really well acted yeah, and very visceral and i think that's that is mostly seen as a positive by a lot of people watching it like as as a critique like it's effective it's doing what they want it to do which is to make you scared of evil kirk but it's also really hard to watch at least it is for me but that's not even the part that upsets me the most the part that upsets me the most is that apparently in starfleet the standard operating procedure if somebody is assaulted is to put them in a room with the person they're accusing of their assault and allow him to question her and he's in a rank position of power It's like, I mean, it's bad enough, but
3: there's all kinds of additional issues that, you know, part of the reason they're saying Kirk can never express his feelings towards her is because he's a commanding officer and it could be seen as coercion, even if it wasn't like a violent sexual assault. So it's problematic that they're kind of insinuating, you know, you're maybe making this up. And then at the end for Spock to basically being like, you pretty much wanted it.
1: Yeah, that joke at the end is the worst Spock moment of all time, bar none. He actually takes the time at the end of the episode to mock a sexual assault victim because it wasn't Kirk, really, but she still was assaulted. Like, that still happened. It's not erased by the fact that it was an evil version of Kirk. She still went through that trauma. And that joke is horrific.
3: Yeah, and she actually ends up apologizing to Kirk. Yes. Uh, but Grace Lee Whitney does do a really tremendous job acting this, which isn't to say I wish it happened, but... Um.
1: Yeah, the scene where they're questioning her, she's doing this amazing thing where she's she can't look at him. So she's, like, looking away, and, like, the, she's crying, but it's not over the top it's very much just like she's upset and trying to to figure out what's happening and she also says explicitly in that scene that she would have let it go and that she was sorry basically that she had to accuse kirk of this thing but the way she's doing it and her body language and the way she won't maintain eye contact is all super powerful really well done but if you have read these are the voyages um apparently she was uh, not getting into that place very easily and so apparently shatner just hit her across the face without any warning to you know put her in the headspace and one of the most disturbing things about that story to me is that she she tells it like it, it was a good thing that he did and she's grateful to him for it because it turned it made her turn in a really good performance and at no point does anybody like not mark cushman who's writing this anecdote not grace Lee whitney who's telling it make it seem like maybe it's not okay for your coworker to hit you without warning
0: hmm. mm-hmm.
1: I- Ugh. so
3: like go back to like this message of this episode and Spock has this line, says we have here an unusual opportunity to appraise the human mind or to examine in earth terms the rules of good and evil in a man, his negative side, which you call hostility, lust, violence, and his positive side, which earth people express as compassion, love, tenderness, and what is it that makes one man an exceptional leader? we see indications that it's his negative side which makes him strong that his evil side if you will properly controlled and disciplined is vital to his strength and it's like doesn't make any sense it's it doesn't make any sense um but it's like the dark side of kirk is what keeps him strong those kinds of traits are innate in all human men which as you pointed out super insulting and um that like real men quote unquote don't show like the weakness and indecision that kirk with like evil side gone expresses so all of it really not cool for men or women
1: i will say though that it's very clear that this is a favorite episode from the people who made it Mm -hmm. shatner at one point said it was one of his top 10 gene roddenberry really liked it Grace Lee Whitney really liked it. Like, the people who yeah. made it were proud of this episode. And I can almost see why, because even though I hate it, I think the reasons I hate it are are all the reasons we've talked about. And I don't think that just was not on their radar at that time. And in the end, it's like a it's a well-produced and well-acted and, you know, well-told story in a lot of ways. I just think that, like, watching it now, it, it just... I, I can't handle it. Like, I, I really didn't want to rewatch it. Yeah, for sure. But I will say that it does have Unicorn Dog, which is one of the best things Star Trek has ever done.
3: Yeah, it also apparently has paintings in Rand's quarters that she supposedly painted, so I don't know if they ever mentioned that or if they were planning on mentioning in the future, but that was in uh, Memory Alpha for the episode.
1: Huh. Hmm. That's interesting.
3: All right, so, uh, so Rand goes away for a while, Um, and let's maybe talk a bit about where we do see her again, but then also, like, what opportunities were missed out on TOS because she wasn't there. So, Sue, do you want to maybe read the comment from Alejandra, which is the third comment in the listener comments? Because this leads into the movie discussion.
0: Yeah, Alejandra writes... When I saw her in the movie after so many years, the joy I felt was so great. In the movie, her acting portrays a caring, sensitive, and competent crew member. Somehow that gives me hope that I, too, will be considered a competent professional as I get older. Here's hoping, is in parentheses. (laughs) Awesome. So I was assuming
3: she was talking about the motion picture, because that's the first movie that she shows up in. And in this uh, movie, she is the transporter chief, and she's got this, like, cool little curly bob who may be shorter than a bob kind of thing Uh we see her then as a communications officer on earth in star trek 4 and uh then most significantly in star trek 6 she's serving on the excelsior under the command of captain sulu
1: i would love to serve with captain sulu he literally sits on the bridge and sips tea That is the kind of captain I would follow to the ends of the galaxy.
3: I actually was under the impression that she was his first officer as well, I think because she has a line. Um, But according to Memory Alpha, she's just a lieutenant. Like, her rank shows that she's lieutenant commander, but the script said she was lieutenant junior grade or something. So I'm not 100% sure. I couldn't find anywhere verification that she was intended to be his first officer. But I do think that would be rad. And actually... um, interestingly grace lee whitney said in star she thought it was a, like she's like this is great but it's also a little weird because i never really thought of rand as someone who would actually have ambition like i always thought she was at the bottom of the totem pole she used that phrase but you know i guess i'm grateful for the opportunity um it's interesting that you know it wasn't even something she saw as particularly consistent but i think it's cool because like people do change over time
0: well and if you look at what we talked about at the top of the episode, right? The duties of a yeoman, at least in like today's Navy, are very similar to what you'd expect an XO to be dealing with, right? The messages and crew evaluations and fitness reports and dealing with the protocol of the ship, those are very, you'd expect that of an XO. You hear Riker talk about doing those types of things all the time. So there's this kind of, in my head, right, there's this sort of like administrative track that you don't really ever see in Star Trek that I like in my head canon to believe that Rand followed into the movies.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I like that her career continued, and I also like that she managed to put together such a memorable character that's so associated with the original series with just a handful of episodes and some very short scenes in the movies i just think that's super impressive
3: yeah absolutely we did have another related comment from chris
0: f from Facebook. do you want to take that one as well sue yeah chris writes i like that she finished her career not everyone is destined to be a captain, and it was nice that she kept working hard and worked her way up to Lieutenant Commander. Plus, seeing someone, other than TOS movie crew and Picard, above the age of 50, still working was empowering. That is an excellent point.
3: Especially women. Especially when, like, I don't feel like they tried to hide Rand's age. Like, I think she looks good. Um, I'm not, and I mean, it's a whole, like, problematic discourse anyway. But, <laughs> but I She's feel the like- same age as the rest of the crew. Yeah, um, but, like, with the TNG, like, there was so much effort to try and make Gates and Marina, like, I feel like they were held to different standards than the men and the crew in terms of, like, their weight and their hair and their skin and things like that.
0: Especially in the films, absolutely. Okay, is that it for discussion of the movies?
1: Yeah, sadly, I I just uh, I don't think that there's a whole lot to discuss. She she was uh, basically cameoing, yeah, which was awesome, but you know, brief.
3: Yeah, but I think you're right. It was good that they. I, I mean, especially you know, I'm going to definitely give her the benefit on the doubt on on the events that she describes in her memoir and why she left. And obviously, she had some personal issues that she worked really hard to deal with. And I think it is nice to see that the franchise showed a bit of respect for her instead of like recasting her or just creating an entirely new character um even though you know she'd only really had this handful
1: of episodes totally agree
0: yeah this comment actually also makes me think of that comment it's wolf in the fold right where they they say of scotty's girlfriend you know just wait till she finds a man and settles down and leaves starfleet yeah from from that perspective, yeah, it is nice to see that Rand, whether or not she settled down with a person, uh, she, she decided to continue her career and not leave Starfleet service because of her personal relationships. Yeah, for sure. So,
3: um, going back to the original series, Grace Lee Whitney's dismissal was pretty abrupt and, um, a lot of scripts were already in production. So there were a few scripts that actually already had mentioned Rand and then had her cut. So Trouble with Tribbles was one of them. I'm not sure what her role was going to be in that. Any ideas for how she could have fit in with Trouble with Tribbles in a way that would have been cool?
1: I'd like to think about how she would be dealing with the Tribbles and all of the sandwiches. (laughs) Yes. So like she's trying to she's trying to bring Kirk his coffee and his sandwich and there's just tribbles and everything. How's she gonna handle that? I mean we already seen that she's a creative problem solver when it comes to, you know, getting the coffee right.
3: Yeah. She could help dig Kirk out of the tribble pile. <laughs> I mean, they could have had her and Uhura instead of her and Chekhov be hanging out on the station and have it be
0: kind of like a friend situation. Mm-hmm. That could have been fun. I think we probably would have seen her in the Group scenes, maybe in the lounge scenes.
1: I feel like she would like the tribbles too. Like, that seems like that's something she would like. And um, it does make me think, like, thinking about them going on the station together, like, instead of Uhura and Chekhov doing it. It's making me think about how differently the female friendship has been treated on the shows I've seen so far. So like on TOS, it's basically non-existent. I mean, occasionally you'll get a scene where they're together. The only one that really sticks out for me right away is the Rand and Uhura singing scene and then the Chapel and Uhura, she's teaching her how to read again scene. Mm -hmm. So it's basically non-existent. Then you get to TNG where Troy and Crusher obviously have a friendship, but it's centered around their romantic relationships so you know they're doing space aerobics and talking about boys and then you get to ds9 and kira and dax are talking about the trauma of killing people and you know science and tactics and you know having real conversations and it turns out they do anti-grav you know holodeck excursions and stuff and just seeing how female friendship changed from series to series has been really interesting for me
3: And they still talk about guys, but it's not like the only thing they get to do.
1: Yeah. And when I was talking about that space aerobic scene, I was like, it makes total sense to me that Troy is in a new relationship. Crusher is her friend. You would talk to your friend about that. One hundred percent. That's not my problem with it. My problem with it is that those are the only times really we get to see them be friends. You know, the other example that came to mind for me was when Beverly was explaining why she was leaving the ship for Orgasm Candle. <laughs> There's also the
0: scene when with the astringent.
1: Yes. <laughs> and, you know, the movie scene where they talk about their boobs
3: amazing um so another character that was originally going to have been Rand was uh what the character who ended up being helen noel in uh the dagger of the mind and this one i'm not 100 percent sure how that would have worked out because um i feel like helen noel is actually a, a fairly cool character and she has this sort of psychologist psychiatric background that she uses to help use her expertise to get them out of the sticky situation um so i'm not sure how exactly Rand would have contributed in that situation but maybe she had some awesome skills we just never found out about and i think i feel like in that like i used the phaser to warm the coffee scene we got to see that she could have been a little bit more badass and ingenious and inventive so maybe that would have been an opportunity to see that in action
1: the one thing I do think that might have made that stronger having Rand is it would make a way more sense why she'd be fascinated by Kirk's inner mind and like his his feelings underneath everything because Helen Noel comes out of nowhere and it's kind of like okay why are you doing that whereas Rand it would make more sense to me that she would be interested in in that kind of under the hood of Kirk's mind I guess
3: Hmm, That's a really good point. And one of the writers who was the most upset about uh, Grace Lee Whitney being thrown off the show was Harlan Ellison. Um, I saw them both do a panel at Star Trek Las Vegas two years ago, and uh, it was pretty incredible, especially like he's obviously known for being quite a, uh, I'm going to say deliberately offensive character, like he will make deliberately offensive remarks for shock value. Um, And when he was on stage with Grace Lee Whitney, they were talking about how um, she would, like, bring his kids over and they would go to the fair at Coney Island. And he was, like, a totally different person. Um, but he was really close friends with her. And he had... had it in not Yeah. It really made it clear, like, seeing him do a panel by... Or, like, he just did one where that was basically a monologue by himself where he just made, like, horrible comments the whole time. Um, And then I have it... I'll put it in the show notes. I have a link to some of the comments that I've noted down in Trekkie Feminist. Um, And then the one that he did with Grace Lee Whitney and then he did one with Walter Koenig as well. And they were all totally different. So it showed really that, like, his attitude is really kind of a performance. Anyway, um, so in City on the Edge of Forever, he had originally written a fair – a decent part for Rand. And um, in the comic book series that was based on his original screenplay – we can see that sort of play out and Rand gets to break down a door with a laser gun. Like there's a fist fight and I think Kirk or Spock is like, Rand, get that door down. And she just like picks this massive gun off the floor and like shoots down this door. And then um, she's part of the away team down to the planet and has some sort of key reactions as they meet the Guardians of Forever. Um, there's multiple in Harlan Ellison's version. Um, wow. So
1: that was kind of interesting. That sounds... Awesome. Mostly all of the things I've heard about Harlan Ellison's original script, I don't agree with. Like he wanted to suck a lot of the character moments out, but that sounds like it could have been really cool. Yeah.
3: I do recommend the comics. They're interesting. Um, it's not really a comic style I I love, but it's interesting and uh, it's very Harlan Ellison. Also, I will, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler that there you know, there's kind of like, there's a homeless man who kind of speaks the truth of the situation and he mm. has Harlan Ellison's face. <laughs> so it's pretty <laughs> classic like Harlan Ellison with like artistic genius combined with like rampant egomania. Anyway, um, so that's just, I guess, a few examples of what could have been had Rand stuck around. Can anyone think of any other examples or have any others they want to mention of, like, other yeoman's or ensigns that might have been Rand that could have been cool?
1: To be honest, I would have just liked to see her emotional journey more, more than, like, moments. I would have liked to get a better sense of who she was as a person.
3: Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, certainly for her job, some of the tasks she had to do, They aren't, the tasks themselves aren't demeaning. It's just that we didn't really get to see a huge other side of her personality. And then the fact that, like, almost all the yeomen we saw in the rest of the show were, like, cute women. Um, Uh and it was kind of implied that it was, like, a role of serving men, even though Kirk at the beginning is like, why did they assign me a woman? It's like, because apparently all the yeomans are women. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. and So, like, if they had treated the role with a little bit more respect instead of just, like, you're someone who flies under the radar and we just sign things and like that you're cute.
0: If we had had Rand for, you know, all three years of TOS, I would have loved to see the character grow more, take on more responsibility, maybe get promoted.
3: Mm-hmm. She could be the Eat. purser.
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> but just... I feel like I we say this a lot, to just see her have more things to do, rather than walk around with coffee sandwiches and occasionally some reports for Kirk to sign.
3: There's also scenes like,
0: I mean, okay, and the Children Shall is an
3: awful episode to ever use as <laughs> an example, but like, where Chapel is randomly feeding kids ice cream that I feel like would have fit Maruth Rand's character. Like, there are scenes throughout the rest of TOS that make more sense for it to be Rand and actually could have maybe provided Ren some cool opportunities for character mm-hmm. growth. She yeah. could have solved more problems.
1: Yeah. I think there were, there was a place for her and her character that we unfortunately missed out on. Isn't she in Voyager? Are you not going to talk about that?
3: Sure. So, I mean, she's in Voyager, but it's a flashback to Star Trek Six. So I think they may have added, like, one scene. I don't think it adds... Particularly significantly to her character, other than to show that she was much more important once the original series ended, and particularly in the Star Trek Six era, that she was an important player. All right. Any final thoughts, Grace? Well, our canon's
2: loss is the fanon's gain, in the (laughs) sense that I'm sure we've got a lot of creative people who have come up with more content for Janice Rand than the actual writers ever did.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm thinking about it. I'm gonna go search out some of the see what the fandom did with her because now I'm curious.
3: Yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't noticed her on the cover of novels ever, I think, but I'm sure she's in novels. So if people have recommendations for novels that, I mean, I've read, I read the novelization of the Voyager episode flashback and that's it. Um, so if people have, uh, <laughs> recommendations for novels that have a cool representation of Janice Rand, then let us know. You can do that by emailing us at crew at, at com or posting on our Facebook page or visiting our website, womenatwarp.com. For tweeting us at women at warp so it was great talking about janice rand with you but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the trek fm network recently so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm
2: previously on trek.fm the ready room you don't create a better future and then it's just there and it's just stagnant and Nothing ever threatens it, right? That's not reality. Yeah, you'd end up with Star Trek The Next Generation if you did that, right? Not- right, well, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's why a lot of people who love The Next Generation don't like Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine challenges that premise. To the journey! You say, this is what you're going to do. You're not going to film Star Trek Nemesis, that piece <laughs> of crap TNG movie. You're yes. not going to do it. You're going to yes. make Voyager, the movie that you film. It's going to be a a two-and-a-half-hour extravaganza that really shows the struggle with the Borg instead of making it look like you beat the Borg in one second, you know. Melodic Treks.
0: This may be the only time we get to do something, and we have to make sure it's as good as it gets. That we have, we try and put on all the great moments.
1: Continuing Mission. I would do a new issue, and I would print them out and then staple them together, and it would have weight. And it would land on the table with a thump. And I was like, wow. All of that. I did this. And that's
2: what else is happening on Trek.fm.
3: We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com. Trek.fm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you're done in the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash trek.fm. Andy, where can people find you elsewhere on the
1: internet? Easiest place is on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live-tweeting my way through Star Trek.
0: And Sue. You can find me on Twitter at spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or over at anomalypodcast.com. And Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. You can read my writing on the Mythcreants
3: blog. And you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening!